0: Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Sean McDermott, who is the president, CEO, and founder of Windward Consulting Group, a ServiceNow partner. And we're going to be talking to Sean about what his company does as a partner for ServiceNow. I want to actually back up a little bit and also talk about ServiceNow and talk about the services they provide in terms of security-related services. Before we do that, I want to say hi. Sean, how are you today? I'm doing great.
1: Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Whereabouts are you located? I'm a little bit north of Orlando in Winter Park, Florida. Winter Park, a place that I, never I, probably has winter. No, <laughs> awesome. no, not at all. And I'm a recent <laughs> transplant. I moved down here about two and a half years ago. I spent 50-plus years in Northern Virginia area. So Okay. I was thinking Florida and the name Windward. Are you a sailor? I was a sailor growing up. That is the origin of the name, mm-hmm. but I have not sailed in a very long time because I do not want to own a boat anymore. <laughs> I feel your pain. I've owned a couple of boats and they say the
0: happiest day, or the first, second happiest day of your, of your life is when you buy your boat and the happiest day is when you sell it.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that many times too. Yeah. But I grew up as a sailor and and I grew up in Annapolis, and my dad had a business wow. in Annapolis, and and so Annapolis was my life for a very long time. But no, I haven't sailed in a while. I'm up here in the Seattle area, and
0: we have we have a lot of islands. We have protected waters in the Puget Sound, and one day, one day, I will get another, probably a, a smaller boat. The whole mortgage thing is where do you keep it, and all that stuff is is kind of the issue. But one day, it's on my list. I'll, I'll get there, Get back into the ownership thing.
1: My mom is from Bremerton, so I have oh. Yeah, the whole ha- One half of my family is all, from, all in Bremerton.
0: Okay, so you've spent some time up here, right, I would assume. I've spent a lot of time there. I'm I'm yeah. actually
1: a Seahawks fan,
0: believe it or not. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, when the weather's nice up here like it is today, it's just beautiful. And it's amazing having lived overseas, every time I would be overseas and then come back, even though I was prepared for it, I'd be like, oh my God, look how green it is. <laughs> it's, just, it's pretty cool. Well,
1: that's how I feel about Florida. You come down here, and especially in the summertime, because it's just so green all the time. Mm-hmm. In Orlando, we get rain constantly, like every day we get half an hour of rain, but a tremendous amount of water at one time and everything's just green, it's lush and green, it's beautiful. That's nice. I want to talk
0: to you about the services that Windward Consulting Group provides, but before that, could you just, in your words, explain what the ServiceNow offering is, what their ecosystem is, and whenever possible, tie that into security services?
1: Yeah, so ServiceNow is a platform, and I, I say that word intentionally because I've spent the last thirty years in the IT operations space and there's been a number of companies over the last thirty years that have claimed to be platforms like HP was a platform and CA and BMC. And what they really were was just a number of products that were acquired over years and integrated together, written in different code bases, different databases and things like that. And looks all great on marketingware, slideware. But when you lift up the covers and you're doing an implementation, it can be harrowing. So ServiceNow is a SaaS-based platform. And why that's important is because you have centralized user profiles, centralized data, workflows, structure, analytics, and reporting. Their flagship module is service management. That's what they started under. Uh, They expanded from there into IT operations. So they have a module called IT operations. They have another one called SecOps. Inside of SecOps, they have different functionality, but now they're also expanding into HR space for, and they they really focus on employee experience, customer experience. They're now into financial management, portfolio planning. It's an interesting company because they have the ability to create all these different modules and expand different ways, all while keeping that same centralized connection of data and workflow and things like that. Because what IT really is, it's a cross-business capability, Right. And um, even if you look at what we focus on, on operations and security operations, infrastructure operations, and service operations, we're monitoring, managing, and ensuring reliability of applications across many different business units. And that means that we have to be able to access data related to one business unit versus another business unit. And ServiceNow just really is so seamless across all that.
0: So so what is the ideal like customer profile for ServiceNow? Is it small, medium-sized businesses? Is it businesses of all sizes? Is it some, a startup, a new enterprise? What What is the ideal profile?
1: So it's interesting. That's a very interesting question because ServiceNow traditionally went out, is, is really embedded in most of the Fortune 500 companies. So as any large publicly traded company, I think that they would really love to be in the space of doing multi-million dollar license deals per per year. So they do tend to skew more towards large enterprise. Price points and and implementation costs and things like that probably skew them away from early startups and SMBs and things like that. But they I think they're working on going kind of downstream on that and building in building out more capabilities for deployment of their product in a, in. A, but as a SaaS product, as a SaaS platform, they really can deploy quickly. So It really kind of depends on the value of what you want to get out of something like ServiceNow. And you may start very small, start just with the service management module. And then as the startup grows and gets bigger, you can start adding in everything else. In terms
0: of security, products, features, services, tools, what does the ServiceNow platform have?
1: They provide primary two areas. One is around, they provide a lot of areas, but I think the two that we need to mention the most is instant response, right? So, As you're gathering data from different platforms for bringing in telemetry data, so it might be endpoint protection, firewall data, all this data coming in, the ability to do incident response, understand what exactly is going on, how do you correlate it, how do you look at the root cause of it, how do you generate an incident, how do you work that incident to completion to resolve whatever security issue might be going on. The second part of of the main area they should be looking at is vulnerability management. So vulnerability management is more on the lines of do you have certain security controls that are not completely covered, right? Do you have pieces of equipment out there that haven't been patched to the right level? We can pull in all kinds of third-party data to say, hey, these are the operating systems that may be vulnerable and you need to be patched. So the ability to kind of look into your infrastructure and say, okay, how many laptops do I have that are running this version of Microsoft Windows? Because there's a known vulnerability on that. And then how do we actually schedule and deploy fixes for that? Right? So vulnerability management is a little bit more kind of your proactive, bigger picture looking about where, where do we have issues in our security environment and instant response is really about kind of here and now, like we got something going on now, we got to fix it, move mm-hmm. on to the next one. Cause they're, they're Incidents are nonstop, right? They're just coming in constantly.
0: And there's all kinds of research out there that shows your typical Fortune 500 company might have 60 to 70 different security products and vendors. How user-friendly is the ServiceNow platform in terms of working alongside some of these other kind of outside security vendors?
1: I think that's one of the biggest value propositions of ServiceNow is their integration capabilities to third-party vendors. and. Certainly, ServiceNow wants to; they want to do as much as they possibly can with their products, and they are competitive to other companies on the market. I mean, they're kind of they're the dominant player in the service management world right now, and but they're not the dominant player in IT operations management, and they're not the dominant player in security. So there is a little bit of overlap in certain areas, but uh, so they have they have a very good integration capability to bring to gra- gather data from these different data sources like like CloudStrike and other companies like Tanium to bring that data in to correlate it against their own data. So for example, if if you're looking at a Cloud Strike and you're doing say endpoint protection with CloudStrike, there's a CloudStrike's got a tremendous amount of capabilities that I don't think ServiceNow could ever replicate. Maybe they could or over time. But that's not really the play, right? The play is what is going on that CloudStrike is seeing and how can I bring that information into ServiceNow and then link it into all this other data that I have in ServiceNow, like my CMDB, my asset and inventory, my software inventory, and start looking at the CloudStrike data in conjunction with all this other data, as well as customer information, employee information, and start making decisions on impact of things going on within CloudStrike to particular employee sets particular applications, particular geographical locations. The ability to bring all these data in, and and that's really one of their key things, is their integration platforms. They put a lot of time into that because they know that they need to work with all these different vendors. The analogy I use all the time is in the IT world, as you said, you, you, you said something very key here. A lot of these Fortune 500 companies have 60, 70 tools. It's actually probably more like 300 to 400 to 500 tools. It's a tremendous number of tools that they have. And you have to think of it like a solar system. And in the center of the solar system, it's a star and everyone else kind of orbits around them. And ServiceNow has done a very good job of positioning itself inside a lot of these organizations as the star and allowing everyone to kind of orbit around them. Because a lot of these tools are best of breed very functionally specific, and they need to be in that environment. But you need to be able to pull that those tools together into a common platform to understand what this tool over here that's doing something very specific means to the services and applications that you're delivering to a particular business unit. So ServiceNow has done a very good job of really positioning themselves in the center of the solar system for a lot of these Fortune 500s. And allowing these companies, these other vendors to orbit around them. And there's gravitational pull, right? A service, a, a solar system has gravitational pull. That's why planets don't fly away. And that gravitational pull is the integration that they do. So it's a very big part of the platform.
0: And then in terms of the partner ecosystem for ServiceNow, I'm assuming that there are partners who specialize in certain areas. Can you give a, a breakdown of the different types of partners that you see?
1: Yeah. Well, you can kinda of look at it in the way they describe it. Global elites, elites, platinum, gold, silver, I think those are levels. We're an elite partner. We're not a global elite partner because we focus only on North America or companies in North America that are doing work in other countries but are headquartered in the US. Global elites like the KPMGs and Accentures, they're they're in every country. Right? So And there are a number of pure play ServiceNow vendors out there or partners that really all they do is just, if you've got a ServiceNow project, we will do it for you. Some of them are larger than us. We are very specific in what we want to do. So at Windward, we've spent the last 26 years. So I founded the company in 1997 and we are very operationally focused. And what I tell people all the time, I try to make it very simple is that when we're working with our customers that are doing digital transformation, Digital transformation means something different to every single company, right? It could be our digital transformation strategy is focused on mobility, or it's focused on cloud agility or or application migration. That's whatever. They get to make that choice. When we look at it, we say, what do you need to do to be successful at digital transformation? And I've kind of boiled it down to two things. You have to innovate, right? You have to do something innovative or else you're just doing the same thing. You're just not changing. You're not transforming anything. And that innovation needs to be reliable. So if you spend a lot of time and money building out new capabilities that are innovative and they're not reliable, then you're undermining all the work you're doing from an innovation standpoint. So we are reliability guys. We, we focus on service reliability. And what that means is we look at it in kind of three parts, service management, operations management, and security operations. Because all three of these things, if you think of like service reliability as a three-legged stool, all those pieces of the stool have to be there to have a strong service reliability strategy. So when we think about ServiceNow and as an elite partner, we are very much focused on service reliability powered by ServiceNow. And so we lead ourselves as a service reliability company. We don't necessarily lead ourselves as a ServiceNow elite partner because we're really trying to work with customers on the whole reliability vision and strategy and the implementation of technology and tools and processes and workflows to make that a reality. Excellent.
0: Maybe you can walk through those three subsets of service reliability, the service management, operations management, and security aspects, and talk maybe give some examples of how you've helped companies develop those capabilities.
1: Sure. So from a service management perspective, a lot of people think about it as your service desk, your help desk, and certainly that's a big part of it. And that's where it kind of got its origins back in the day when ServiceNow first started. They were, they were a service desk application. But that's become so much more now, really. You start thinking about service management as what is, the, what is the user experience of using this platform? Because you're going to be migrating people who have been using other applications and other tools onto ServiceNow. And the user experience is really key to that. So we spend a lot of time working with customers on that. We also spend a lot of time on asset management, configuration management, CMDB. I personally believe that in an IT operations world, the CMDB, the Configuration Management Database, or some people call it a CMS, Configuration Management System, is the heart of everything. It's, it's, it is your environment codified into a platform, and it's very difficult to do SecOps and operations management at any level if you don't know what you don't have. So we spend a lot of time and and the other piece of that is the service management platform is really the core workflow automation capability. So when we think about what one of the most biggest value propositions of ServiceNow, it's all around workflow, workflow, and how do you drive automation through workflow? ServiceNow used to call themselves a workflow company. So there's the deployment of workflow, and then there's the optimization workflow. And a lot of times, we're working with customers in deploying new workflow and transitioning things that workflow on their old systems into the new platform. But then you also have always have to go back and look at it and say, is this optimized? Now that we have more data, we can understand that this workflow runs a thousand times a day, but it takes four days to run or three days to run, and this whole process and there's manual. Can we go in and we can start tweaking it to bring that down and get things more efficient? Because that's what we're really trying to get to, being more efficient. So that's service management. In the operations management area, this is really all about observability, service mapping, and automation. So when we think about operations management, really these are the, these are the people on the front line. These are the ones in the network operations centers that are getting everything and coming in real time at them and trying to say, okay, how do we fix problems when we're getting so much data thrown at us at one time? So operations management is really about consuming all this data, sorting through it using correlation and AI and things like that because we're getting tremendous amounts of data coming in, trying to find the root causes of problems, understanding how those problems map back to their applications and their services. So if you have a, a bank that's got a loan processing application, and there's an outage or slowdown. Can we correlate what's going on in the environment to that particular application and really hone in on that? And then driving all that through automation, right? I mean, and again, automation is, is really such a key to our business, is because you're just ultimately driving more and more every day to how can we do more with less, right? And the last area of SecOps, we just brought SecOps into our service reliability model probably about five years ago because it really has just become so apparent that, the delineation between a operation or infrastructure issue and a security issue has become so blurred now. And the reality is, is that they're using the same systems to do two effectively similar jobs, right? Operations is looking at infrastructure and applications and services. Security is looking at security events and things like that, but their event is an event. There, a lot of security organizations use Splunk for their security tool. A lot of operations organizations use Splunk as their observability tool, right? So, and you need a CMDB in the operations world to understand, hey, if I've got this application like that loan processing application, how does that relate to all the different assets I have, cloud assets or physical assets to make up that application? Well, on the security side, you have the same thing. Like, how do I understand my vulnerabilities? I connect into the CMDB so I can understand how many of those laptops do we have in the in the environment and how many are running this OS that's vulnerable and how long will it take us to tra- to update and patch them? So it's all interconnected. And that's kind of the message that we get out to our customers is that you've got to look at all three of these areas as a kind of a unified, fully integrated, dependent upon each other model. Because if you are under-investing in one, it could really damage your overall reliability strategy. Excellent.
0: I'm curious, most of your new customer engagements, are these from outbound marketing activities or is it inbound leads come through your the partner network or come through your, your website? Or how does that work?
1: What, what I want and what we get are two <laughs> different things. <laughs> you know, as a CEO of a company, I mean, I would love to be getting more inbound. We don't get enough inbound mm-hmm. leads. So we get a lot of we get a lot of our our new customers coming through referrals, whether referral through relationship with certain sales reps at ServiceNow, referrals from other customers we We do a lot of business with customers that move from one client that we work with to another and they bring us with them. We also do a fair number of sponsorships of shows and meet with customers who are exploring issues that they're having and challenges and we're able to sit down face to face and say "Let's talk about this issue and challenge you're having and maybe we can help you. And if we can't, then maybe we can find somebody to help you, right? And so our, our outbound, our inbound leads is really a, a function of marketing and brand awareness. And we're definitely investing more in that, but it's def- it's definitely an area that can improve for us.
0: And the reason I asked about that, I'm, I'm curious, like when you have a, a new contact or a new opportunity, what are the questions that you most often hear?
1: Questions related to, how we can help them or about our company. Yeah, exactly. What are
0: they looking for these days? What are they looking for? What, what are their, their concerns?
1: Well, it depends on the type of customer. So if they're an existing ServiceNow customer, probably the general question they ask us is, how do we derive more value out of the platform? And you can derive value from a couple of different ways. You can derive value through optimizing what you're doing, Right. So you've made them you've made the modernization decision and you've gone out and you've bought ServiceNow. You've replaced a number of legacy applications with a single platform. You've transitioned some of your existing workload onto the platform. You've some of the processes and workflow you've done on other applications. You've now rebuilt them onto the new modern platform. And then a lot of them are saying, Okay, how do we optimize from here? Right. And that could be optimization of workflow. It could be New capabilities we can we can start deploying features that we can turn on that we didn't have turned on before integrations to more data sets to bring more data in so there's a lot of conversations about that or it could be a new module they could say look we we've been running on ITSM and ITOM for the last two years and now we're ready to get into security well, I'm working with a, a a huge energy company right now Fortune 100 and we're, we're going to be deploying a SecOps module because of a new use case that they came up with, and we've been working with them on, and we say this is a great example to make an investment in SecOps to satisfy the solution. If they're a prospect, then the questions that they're probably having are, is ServiceNow a platform for us? Is it something we should be looking at? What is the value of it to us? And those questions can be answered in a number of ways. One, it could be, can we replace four or five different applications that you have right now with a single platform? And there's an ROI around that. You can also look at integration of data. So you have five different tools that you're working with, and they all have data and different data sets and how you integrate them together. Can we bring all that data into the ServiceNow platform and not have to do any any integration anymore? It could be what capabilities can I have in the future if I make this investment? And that's the one that I'm actually the most excited about. Is I tell people it's like if you're in a construction company and you're saying and you're driving around in like a 1990 Toyota pickup truck with uh, two two seats in it with a small cab on the back or a small bed, you're going to be limited in what you can do as a construction company, right? But if you but if you go buy a a F one fifty king cab that can tow three thousand pounds and has a much bigger bed. And you can fit your whole construction crew inside of there. It opens up all these different possibilities of what you can do now that you couldn't do before with this kind of legacy platform. The old Toyota pickup is the legacy platform. And the F-150 is the new platform. It creates more opportunities for what's possible, yeah. right? And, and what can you do that you haven't even thought about? And this is where I get the most excited is working with customers to help them really think about the art of the sure. possible.
0: Sure. It makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, you've kind of already answered partially, anyway. My next question, which was going to be, how do you actually quantify the benefits of the service that you deliver? And you could also say, by extension, what the ServiceNow platform is going to deliver. But what are people looking at? Is it is it when can we get an ROI? How much is the ROI? Or what are those? What What is the future going to look like in terms of our expanded capabilities? Maybe you can talk a little bit how you do that. And then if you could give like a, a specific example, especially in the context of SecOps, this is what we actually did. This was the use
1: case. And then this is how the end benefits were derived. Sure. I, I mean, ROI comes down to, comes down to a couple of things. It's actually not as hard to figure out an ROI. The key to the ROI is trust, right? Do I trust what people are putting in the spreadsheet? And the easiest part of the ROI is to say, if, if I'm deploying ServiceNow for the first time, so let's, again, let's go back to like kind of two different customers. One is, hey, we're going to make the, we want to make the decision to bring on, on ServiceNow. And you can look at it and you say, okay, what is the co- total cost, say the five-year cost of what you're doing today with your current applications? Maintenance costs, administration costs, integration costs, platform costs. Maybe they're not SaaS platforms, they're all on-prem and you can quantify all that and say, okay, this applications are costing us $1.5 million over the next, say, three years. A lot of times we do a three-year TCO versus a five-year TCO. And, you know, so then you can look at it and say, okay, now let's look at ServiceNow, right? And you have to look at the annual maintenance or the annual subscription costs. And you also have to look at implementation, right? And, and as well as continually, continual customization and, and, and building out new use cases. So, Uh, Implementation costs in the first year are always going to be higher, right? And then you kind of average. That's why we use a a, a three- or five-year TCO, so we can average cost over. A lot of times, customers will actually capitalize these costs so they can depreciate them, and that's that's all good. So essentially, that's how we kind of derive the ROI in new customers. And then you're able to basically say, well, if we had this capability, we might be able to do things 25% more efficiently. And then you have to kind of find where the efficiency savings that starts getting a little bit more harrowing because a lot, some people will say, well, we can cut staff. If we do this, usually it doesn't happen that way. Usually it's more like we can end up doing more with our current staff, not necessarily. So a lot of our customers are not looking at it from a standpoint of ROI efficiency based on reducing staff. It's ROI efficiency based on the consumption of more things in there on on their plate that are piling up no matter what they do already, right? More requirements are coming in. Hey, we've got this new cloud environment you need to manage. It's like, I don't have people to do it. We're already working lights out on on these other things. So it's about driving efficiency to do more with less. I mean, do more with less is the standard thing in our business every year. It's like, we gotta do more with less. The ROI on the other side is very similar because if you're an existing ServiceNow customer, you can, you can look at the ROI of process optimization. Like, okay, what does it mean for us to take a process that is half automated and half manual and, and like an onboarding, an onboarding employee process and be able to onboard that process in two hours versus 48 hours? What does that mean? And there's experience around that. And that's kind of the hard thing, right? Because experience isn't intangible, but we try to kind of bring that up and, Say that there's there's an experience value here. Some of it might be we're trying to expand into a security space. So what does that mean? Well, again, optimization of processes and reduction of risk. So the example I can kind of give you on that is with this energy company we're working with, it's really a risk mitigation strategy. I mean, that's what cybersecurity in the end always comes down to. It's what are we willing to spend for the amount of risk we're willing to be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's a hard thing to do. And I've seen some companies out there, some other vendors say, we quantify risk and your risk is $250 million. And I'm like, really? Like That's a big number, right? But the reality is there's always risk. And if you sit there and you say, how do we, and vulnerability management to me is kind of one of the big things is what is the risk of us not having a more strategic approach to vulnerability management? Because a lot of times what happens right now, because everyone's overworked, a vulnerability is, is discovered. It's not necessarily prioritized correctly. It's not really, it's the risk around it hasn't been really thoroughly kind of worked through. And then it's handed off to another group that actually has to implement it. And do the patch or do the change to implement it which is not the security organization so if it's a server that needs to be patched it goes to the server team not the security team they don't have access to do it and then how do you track that and how do you understand how do you know that that thing Mm -hmm. got done how do you got fixed so that scenario is pretty typical what is the risk of that right and that's where we work with our customers because that starts getting very contextual to each customer because you really have to sit down and say, what is the risk of you not being able to fully understand your vulnerabilities and manage your vulnerabilities? And to me, that is probably one of the biggest risks out there. And then we just have to kind of work through it. And a lot of times that goes to the CISO and the CISO says, yeah, I believe that this kind of intangible risk is big enough that we need to make the investment, right? And maybe it's a $300,000 $300,000 investment for a module and services from Windward to implement this thing. The risk is just, I can describe it and I can put it into a spreadsheet, but sometimes you just kind of have to feel yeah. it. And I don't really know how else to do it. No,
0: again, it makes, makes a lot of sense and depends on the, on, on the customer. Some customers that I've experienced, they, they, they need in order to get the internal approvals, they need some so- sort of ROI, tool or something that demonstrates the RI, whether it's actual uh, a nominal dollar amount or time savings or increased efficiency or something. It seems every organization looks at things slightly differently.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing about cybersecurity, right, is that it's all intangible, yeah. right? The, the term risk is just intangible. Like what's the risk of something if it never happens? Yeah. What's the risk of somebody breaking into your home if you leave the door open, if you're if you're a hundred percent sure that nobody will just walk up to your door and walk right. in, the risk is zero. Someone else would be like, Oh, well, I don't like that at all. I mean, I don't some people may say, well, there's always a risk of somebody walking into your house if you leave the door open. One person may say, No, I don't feel that is a risk at all where I live. Or another person might say, Oh yeah, that's a one percent risk. And that one percent risk, what's the what is the value of that 1% risk? Well, you don't know exactly what's going to happen when they come in your house, right? right? Are they going to trash your house? Are they going to steal your TV? I mean, it could be a $1,000 of damage or it could be a half a million dollars of damage, right? You just don't know. So risk, quantifying risk is so intangible. That being said, you bring up a good point when you get into supply chain management and they want to see the justification for it or even the board or senior leadership, you've got to have those models. And we put those models together but a lot of the assumptions in these models are based on kind of market trends or other things like the average fishing. the average fishing, the average ransomware is $4.5 million, right. right? As described by IBM's report of 2021, are you going to get hit with a $4.5 million ransomware attack? I don't know.
0: But if you're a, a large energy company, you would be at risk for something like that. And what are, what are the downsides, right? So you want to look at what are the potential downsides? For me, if I get hit with a ransomware attack, the downside is whatever's on my computer right here. And so, <laughs> but if you're the.
1: Well, we well, we saw it with Colonial yeah, Pipeline, exactly. right? And, and, and that shut down natural gas for, I can't remember how many days, right? That scared the bejesus yeah. out of people, right? And and i get it i mean because it is psychologically damaging and nobody wants to be the ceo or the ciso of an organization that gets hacked and has that type of exposure right. nobody wants to do that right because that's a job killer right there and it might be a career killer but it is just so intangible it's a, it's a hard one one of the things
0: that pretty much everybody is talking about these days but i haven't heard you mention yet is ai and i think you touched on automation but at what points in the ServiceNow platform are you seeing AI being discussed or deployed?
1: Well, it's already being deployed in certain certain things, and it's going to be a big part. They just made some announcements, and they've also made some strategic announcements with like NVIDIA, which is like one of the leaders of hardware accelerated AI. I, you see things like virtual chatbots inside of ServiceNow. And so where I see the future of AI both across our entire business, right? Not just security, but operations management and service management is AI is excellent and machine learning. So I'll I'll address both of those at processing vast amounts of data. We as humans are very visual, right? We are not good at processing massive amounts of of lines of code and data. So AI being able to take a terabyte of data that's coming in a day and rip through it in almost real time looking for pattern matching and things like that I think is is a game changer it's a game changer for how we can continue to do more with less so I'm actually pretty excited about AI in our space I mean I'm not super excited about AI and like deep fakes and and political and social media that scares the Jesus out of me but in our world I'm pretty excited about AI and how it can really transform what we're doing today. I don't think there's any worry about it replacing jobs in our space. I think it's all about enhancing everyone's job to be better, faster, and allow humans to be making more strategic decisions while the AI is really just processing and correlating massive amounts of data to give humans the information to make business decisions or even risk decisions. Because a lot of times you may see a risk and say, I'm willing to accept that risk. you know. And I don't think AI is quite there yet, right? So humans are still making most of the decisions. We just need better data.
0: Definitely. I know you do a podcast. Right? I think it's called the Fine Flow, Flow
1: Podcast. Fine Flow Podcast. Yeah. We did, we've actually just released several AI-related episodes on Fine Flow Podcast. So I, I encourage people to go on any of your podcast platforms and search find flow podcast windward and uh, the last few episodes we did on ai actually were really really good i i and, and i'm not giving myself <laughs> kudos on this cuz i'm the host i just the guests were amazing and the topics are amazing and it's really really enlightening so if you're into if you're into it and you're into ai then you know check out those awesome. episodes
0: i'll put links to your podcast into the Windward Consulting Group's homepage in the show notes here. Hey, Sean, it's my pleasure. And I'd like to wish you and the rest of your team an amazing second half of 2023.
1: Thank you. That, that's, I haven't heard that yet. That's a good one. <laughs> I like, I'll have to use that one.
0: Hello. Welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted
1: source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.